to find the book of Zechariah, and since I know that's going to take you a while, let me say a few things <laughs> about Sunday nights. Um, uh, I'll uh, miss a couple Sunday nights. Next week, Brother Webster Frowner, as you see in your bulletin, will be with us both in the morning and the evening, so uh, be here in the evening next week. He's always uh, a pleasure to hear, and I'm, uh, we're good friends, and I'm glad <coughs> Excuse me, that he's uh, willing to do that. Two weeks from tonight, I'll be uh, on my way to Ontario. Uh, our fellowship class will be doing the service that night, and Tim will be speaking this time. Uh, I, I need to give you a note from the churches up there. We, we put it into our budget to support that camp $1,000 uh, in the year to help with this camp. And I speak, I've been speaking at it now almost every summer for the last number of summers. And so uh, I have to meet at the border at 9 a.m. Monday morning. <laughs> so I pretty much have to take off, you know, on Sunday afternoon to get most of the way up there. And then we go three hours on up into Ontario uh, from there to that camp. And uh, we send them that money and, and uh, two churches that basically put these camps together. As a matter of fact, they run a whole summer camp and outreach uh, and uh, even have a Bible institute that I help with uh, for Canadian young men who are being trained for the ministry. So I, I really like the ministry up there. And they said to thank you uh, for your generous gift of $1,000 uh, because that really helps them, at least with this week of the camp. Uh, so they wanted me to send that to you. So, so I'll miss that Sunday night also. Then um, that, those are the first two weeks of July. And in July, we have our business meeting on the third uh, or fourth Sunday. And then the Lord's Supper, the fifth Sunday night of July. So uh, a lot of uh, interesting things coming up for Sunday nights. So I have a couple Sunday nights in here without, you know, we finished our series on uh, Revelation 4 and 5. So uh, just a couple times to... Uh, preach from some passages that I want to that aren't connected to anything else. And one of them uh, for tonight is Zechariah, that minor prophet. The, uh, it's, uh, he's next to Malachi, so you can uh, find him easy. But chapter 4, and in this chapter, I want to read it to you, and uh, then we'll notice some things about it. And, and the, the title of it is The Day of Small Things. You'll see why. And by the way, I'm, I happen to be reading tonight in the New King James uh, because I had lost my other one, and this is what I studied out of for this message, number one. Uh, and number two, uh, it updates a couple words like from candlestick to lampstand, which is a good thing. Uh, they didn't have candles. They had lamps that they put oil in, and that's the word here, and, and you'll see. Otherwise, it's very much the same. So let me read. Now, the angel who talked with me, and this is Zechariah speaking, came back and awakened me as a man who is wakened out of sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone, the headstone, as it were, 
with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands also shall finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For, even, or for these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. And then I answered and said to him, What are the two olive trees, one at the right uh, of the lampstand and the other at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes which, from which the golden oil drains? And he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. He said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Very interesting chapter uh, in this book of Zechariah, which this, this book is filled with, with many things. And uh, we have these two great statements. One is, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the other is, uh, who has despised the day of small things? Uh, you know, uh, we were talking in our Sunday school class this morning about uh, how God works in history, and uh, you consider uh, that Jesus himself never left that little bit of piece of real estate that we call Israel, never went anywhere else. Uh, he never had an army. Uh, he he uh, uh, simply said what he said and lived for 33 short years, and yet no one, of course, has impacted history like he has, uh, and he was born in due time. The Apostle Paul comes along, uh, a converted Jewish guy who's not much to look at, and people uh, think his eyesight's kind of bad and so forth, uh, but that he was opposed everywhere he went. Uh, every jail had his name written on the wall, uh, and yet look what the Apostle Paul did in spreading the gospel uh, in the known world at that time. And Christianity itself, Christianity has no army, Christianity has no nation that belongs to us. We're scattered throughout all the nations, and all we have really is a book. We have this book, and we claim that, that it is written by the Spirit of God, which lives in our hearts too, and we speak that book. We preach that book all around the world and have done that for 2,000 years, and yet Christianity is the greatest religious force in the world today. And so we don't despise the days of small things. We know as Christians that, that we don't do that. Here in, in this book, uh, remember what was happening here and when Zechariah lived. Uh, he, he's put in these minor prophets, but put toward the end because he uh, was a contemporary with Malachi. Uh, he was a contemporary with Ezra and Nehemiah. And the Zerubbabel that is mentioned here, and in the previous chapter, if you see the beginning of chapter 3, you find the high priest named Joshua. Zerubbabel was the governor, and these men had come back out of Babylon uh, yet now the Persians uh, uh, controlled, and they let the Jews come back. So after the captivity, they've been there for seven, 70 years. Now they're coming back into the land, and they're trying to rebuild the temple, and they're trying to rebuild the city walls for their own protection. You know that story in Ezra and Nehemiah. So even though Ezra and Nehemiah are way over here uh, in the historical books, the prophets who spoke to them 
are listed here, especially Haggai and Zechariah, and then at the end, Malachi. And that's why we have those three here at the end of the book. Well, they came back and they began to build, but the problem was it was pretty discouraging. And uh, they were building, and, there's, and they had no protection. They had no army, and yet the people around them had soldiers and army, and, and uh, so it was a scary thing to do. And then there was this discouragement, and if, you, if you'll turn back to your left to Haggai, the book just before this in chapter 2, notice these words in, in uh, Haggai chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Do you, do you understand what he's saying? Some of you are old enough to have seen Solomon's temple before uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed it. Some of you remember it. And there was no building like Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was the, the, the first wonder of the world. I mean, it was beautiful. And so now you've come back out of captivity, and you've put your hands to this work, and you're standing here looking at it saying, well, this is nothing. This doesn't compare. Are you sure this is all we want to do? We're, we're, we're not going to do any more than this? Uh, so they were discouraged because it wasn't like it was before. And uh, the building isn't as nice as it was in those days. And so they're discouraged about the smallness of it. They're discouraged that it's not as nice as it once was or not as nice as they had before. And yet what's going to happen is that they are going to see God's hand in this through Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophets in, in a wonderful way if they'll pay attention because it's not by their might or by their power, but it's going to be by the Spirit of the Lord. And when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, the one thing you get from that book is it, they had this impossible task and yet God helped them build a wall in 50 days and helped them put this temple together and protected them and uh, gave them a place to be again. You know, I was thinking kind of uh, sitting there this morning watching the sun come up and it's summertime and uh you know, my brother, by the way, you know, we went, we, we went through the longest day of the year right last week uh, on June 20th or 21st, longest day of the year. So the next day, my brother puts out this email to us all and says, boy, I hate these short days. <laughs> he said, you know, I don't know what happened to those long days. I really hate these short days. Anyway, uh, I'm, you know, in the summertime, you look to the east, the sun comes up and you can hardly see it. You know why? Because the trees are full of leaves. Beautiful trees, all you know, everything's green, the leaves are big now, uh, everything is, is there. But you know what? All that beauty does, it blocks the sunrise. And it's in the wintertime when it's cold, when it's tough, and uh, things are hard, and all the trees are bare and there's no leaves. You can see the beauty of God's sunrise and sunsets more than at any other time, right? So sometimes it's not when things are so wonderful 
that you see God's hand in it, is what I'm saying. It's when things aren't so wonderful that you can see God's beauty shining through. And that's what they're going to see uh, in this book. Now, two special verses, as I pointed out, is verse 6 and verse 10. And we quote those sometimes, and, and rightfully so, uh, because our work is not by might nor by power. It has to be by the Spirit. We can talk about our churches and, and our work for the Lord. You know, there's a lot we could do in our own strength. There's a lot we could do with our own flesh, if you, if you will. Uh, you, can, you can make things happen, and it's all by your hand and not by God's hand. We know that that's true uh, because uh, some of the, matter of fact, the largest church in America right now, I wouldn't attend at all. Uh, Joel Olstein's church, if you will. I can say that even recorded. Uh, you know, the gospel preached there, no way. And yet, because of what they do, they're the biggest church in America. And so bigness doesn't mean uh, the blessings of God necessarily. You can make it happen. But if it's by the Spirit of God, then whatever size it is, whatever happens, is a blessing to you and can be a blessing to your heart. So we know that is true. Uh, there are unknown individuals in this world laboring for God in small places and back-of-the-woods places and missionaries that we never heard of. There are churches that you'll never see on a marquee anywhere, uh, and, and they will receive great reward before the Lord because their work is of the Lord and not of man. Now, God has blessed over the years, too, and there are some wonderful churches throughout history and, and in the world today who are large because of God's blessing, and praise the Lord for that, too. But praise the Lord for the other. As a matter of fact, I read this little story uh, in, a, uh, in a church letter that I get uh, online from a friend of mine who pastors, and he, he uh, happened to say this. He's, he's talking about uh, a discouraged Scottish minister uh, who was attacked, he uses that word, by a church member. Now, this is, this is uh, 200 years ago, okay? He's talking about church history. And the minister was attacked by someone in the church uh, after he preached a Sunday sermon, and he said, there is something wrong with your ministry because only one person has been saved this year, and he's only a boy. He's writing this little article. He says, that boy was named Robert Moffat. Don't know if you know that name. Robert Moffat went on to spend his life in Africa as a missionary, leading many people to Christ. And on a furlough, Robert Moffat came home. This is in the early 1800s. Robert Moffat came home and preached and had one convert, when he preached, and that convert's name was David Livingston, who then followed him, of course, to Africa as a missionary. And so he says this young medical student, David Livingston, was uh, challenged then to serve as a missionary. Uh, he came to Moffat uh, one day and said, would I do for Africa? And Livingston was called the missionary explorer who opened the heart of Africa. As a matter of fact, um, someone said that when the rapture happens, uh, David Livingston's body is going to have to be raised from the ground from two different places because it is true that they literally cut his heart out and buried it in Africa 
and then his body was taken back and placed in uh, Westminster Abbey uh, in London. Uh, so he's going to have to be resurrected from two places. So, so here's an here's a unknown pastor doing God's will, preaching. One boy gets saved that whole year. It happens to be Robert Moffat. Moffat comes back and preaches. One guy gets saved. It happens to be David Livingston. And yet thousands upon thousands are in heaven because of those two sermons and what God did. So it's not always by might or by power, but by his spirit. So a couple thoughts here as you have them uh, listed there. You'll have to follow my thoughts. And, and the one is that when we do the work of God, we do it, uh, that, or that work is done by the Spirit of God. We have to understand that. This is his age. This is the age of the Holy Spirit. Notice uh, the explanation here of what Zechariah saw in the first three verses when he saw these two olive trees and this candlestick uh, or the lampstand. Uh, now, where, where was there a lampstand in Israel? If you wanted to see what was called the menorah, where would you go? You go to the temple or the, the tabernacle, and you've seen these menorahs. There's a, a, a central stick like this, and then branches that come around it like this so that you have seven lamps, and, they, and these were filled with oil. There were little bowls on the top with a wick lying crosswise in the, in the oil, and they filled those every day, didn't they, in the, in the temple or the tabernacle. That, the priests had to do that every day. And so in order to have God's light, and that was the only light inside the holy place, uh, in, in order to please God, they had to fill those things every day. They had to keep those lamps burning uh, so that menorah would build. What does Zechariah see here as, the, as God shows him? He sees a menorah with the seven bowls on the top, and then he sees planted out here beside that menorah two olive trees, one on each side. Of course, it's from the olive tree that you get the oil. And as the olive trees are, are grown up beside the menorah, there are pipes <laughs> running directly from the tree to the, to the lamps. So it's not by human effort to fill these lamps with oil. God grows these two trees, has the... the, the uh, uh, pipes coming directly to the oil so that it's always supplied with oil and no human being has to do it. And he sees that and he says, you know what you're looking at? He says, no, I don't know what I'm looking at. It's not what I'm going to do with you and what I'm going to do in, in, this, in rebuilding this temple, though you don't think it's much, is not by might nor by power, but everything will be supplied by the Spirit of God. So that's what he's seeing here, and it's a lovely picture. Some people see seven pipes, and others translate this as 49 pipes, seven pipes to each bowl, uh, which would be more than enough. You know, the, the idea would be, uh, I have all that you'll ever need. You'll never need any more than what I give you. So uh, that is what's going on. Now, so what is the meaning of all this? The meaning is, again, it's, it's, it's God's work and not man. What we do, we have to realize that God needs to do it. If we do it humanly, without the Spirit of God, whatever we've done is not going to last. Uh, I don't know if you've you know, led someone to the Lord and afterwards he just walked away from it and you thought to yourself, I thought he got saved and yet... There's no, 
you know, as somebody said, there I have a lot of my converts walking around on the earth. I don't know how many of God's converts there are, you know, but uh, sometimes you, you think somebody's gotten saved and they don't. If it's not by the Spirit of God, nothing happens, right? We know that that's true. Oil in the Old Testament often pictures, of course, the Holy Spirit. And so here is the, the supply of the Spirit of God directly to the light and the, the light for his work. And then here's man's puny effort. Uh, this little temple doesn't look like much. Uh, these are poor people. They don't have any supplies. They don't have any protection. They're just doing what they can. Uh, the enemies are mocking them and saying, you know, if a, if a squirrel ran up there on that wall, it would knock it over. Uh, you know, and so they're, they're, uh, they're getting all of that abuse and so forth. You know, I remember Paul saying this to two different churches. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, he said, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. That's why you have a church here, he said. Because the, the, when I preached, I didn't preach myself, he said. I preached the power of the Holy Spirit, and it gave you much assurance. He said this to the Corinthian church then in 1 Corinthians 2. Brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so Paul knew what that was to preach that way. And so if that's the picture he sees, and here's the meaning of it, uh, what is then the application that it's by grace and not by human ability? Do you notice at the end of verse 7 that he says, uh, this mountain, and we'll come back to that in a minute, shall become like a plain. I mean, the obstacle that's in front of you, God will flatten out. God will make your mountain a flat plain. And he will set the capstone. In other words, you will see the completion of this. Not only the foundation, but the capstone. As a matter of fact, I went back and looked in the book of Ezra. In Ezra 3.10, now Ezra and Nehemiah, these things are going on at the same time. So here's Ezra, says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, and they, they sang praise to the Lord after the king, or David, king of Israel. That's in chapter 3, verse 10. In chapter 6, verse 14 of Ezra, it says, And the elders and the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. They builded and they finished it according to the commandment of the Lord. So there in Ezra, uh, they started it, laid the foundation, and not many uh, days later, they put the capstone on it. And that's exactly what the prophet is saying here. Uh, you will see this finished, and you know what you're going to say? Grace, grace to it. When it's finished, you're going to say, it was not by our might. It was by the grace of God. This is what happened, and we want to be able to say that in our work also. So that is true. And now let me also say that in this prophecy, 
there is mixed with it, there's a kind of, as we say, a near prophecy and a far prophecy. Because the far prophecy is there's coming a greater temple than this one day that Jesus Christ himself will build when he comes back to this earth to reign. And when he does that, uh, that will be by God's might and not by power. As a matter of fact, the literal mountains then will be moved. If you go back to, to Haggai again in chapter 2, if we read on from Haggai 2 and verse 5, According to the word that I covenanted with you, when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, and I will shake heaven and earth and the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Because he's talking about when the Lord himself returns. And here in the book of Zechariah, back in chapter 3, he talked about the branch in chapter 3, verse 7. He's going to talk about, behold, the man whose name is the branch in chapter 6 and verse 12. And those are about when the Lord himself comes back and builds his temple. So you know what? We look at the work of the Lord today and we might say, well, this is a small work. Is God blessing it? If God is in it and His Spirit wants this done, then we rely on that and we say, praise the Lord, grace to it, whatever God has done. And we realize that there's coming a day when we will see Jesus Christ Himself reign on this earth and bring peace on this earth and rule it with a rod of iron, and we will say, praise the Lord for His grace when that happens too. So let me make a couple applications from this first point. Number one, you have to have the Holy Spirit, you know. If you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You could have a church, and you could have a very successful church, but if people in there don't know the Lord, then they don't have the Holy Spirit. And throughout history, there have been everything from cathedrals to large churches to uh, synagogues to uh, mosques and everything else where people gather together and they're very successful, but they don't know the Lord as Savior. The Holy Spirit's not there, and it's not a work of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have Him in your life. Secondly, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit because you can be born again, and, and you can have eternal life, and the Holy Spirit lives in you, but you never allow Him to do anything in you because you're not filled with the Spirit. That's a command for a Christian to be filled with the Spirit, so you have to do that. Thirdly, you have to have patience with the Holy Spirit because He will do it in His time. He will do it as He wants to do it. And we sometimes push it this way and push it that way, get behind or get ahead, and we have to have patience. And fourthly, you have to renounce selfish motives. One of the problems in doing things without the Holy Spirit is we're selfish about it. We want the praise. We want the accolades. We want the success. And so we do it our way, and we get it done, and we have that success, but it's not done by the Spirit of God. And then fifthly, you have to be thankful then you have to see what God does, and you have to say, thank God for that. Thank God for that Robert Moffat, that one young boy who was saved this year, just like uh, the one shoeshine boy it turned out to be D.L. Moody. Thank God for that, because then God takes that and uses it. Okay, so it's done by the Spirit of God, but secondly, 
it's done by God-ordained means, and we see that in this story also. And what I'm saying about that is the Holy Spirit uses people. The Holy, God doesn't do everything by reaching down his hand out of heaven and moving the furniture around. God uses us, and he uses ordained means. The preaching of the word is an ordained means that he uses. Matter of fact, the word itself, the local church, these are all uh, things that God uses for his purpose. Notice the human element was Joshua and Zerubbabel. Remember that we, we, we read about them in the prophet Haggai. And here in chapter 3, uh, it, it's a whole chapter on Joshua, the high priest. And in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, here is Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua, the high priest, to oppose everything he does. So Satan knows that the, that the uh, means or the instruments God uses is us, people, and those that God has put in place. Satan will stand at our side to oppose everything that we do. And so here's the high priest, and then Zerubbabel is the governor, uh, the one kind of keeping law and order. Uh, and uh, here he is in chapter 4 speaking to Zerubbabel about, hang on, this is God's work. And so we have to understand that. And then at the end, where he says in, in the last three or four verses, he says, well, what about these two olive trees? Who are they? And when he says in verse 14, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth, that must be Joshua and Zerubbabel. Now, there's a prophetic side to that that we see later where the Lord himself will be the prophet, priest, and king and stand beside the Lord in that millennial temple. But right here, it's these two men, the priest and the governor. These are men that I've put in place. I'm going to do my work through them. You saw the foundation laid. You'll see the capstone put on it at the end too. And so don't despise the fact that, that God wants to work through you. You know, some people get saved and they think, okay, the work for God is done. I, I have the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm going to heaven. No, God says there's a sanctification I want out of your life. I want you to grow, as we talked about this morning. I want you to work for me. I want you to speak for me. I want you to become more like me. I want you to put away the things of the world. I want you to be heavenly minded. I want you to be like this because I need you to grow. And he's saying that to the, and, and when, by the way, he sees Joshua standing here, he sees Joshua in filthy garments. And he says, take those garments off of him and put on clean garments, because I want clean garments on my priest. I'm going to use him. And he's saying basically the same thing to Zerubbabel as well. So the human element is there, and then the divine element also is the oil that has to come from these two trees, that has to be poured into the, the lampstands. And so even with the human element, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, uh, then uh, it's not working at all. And again, here, uh, pick, get this picture again. <laughs> Normally, what would, the, what would the Jewish people have to do? Have to go out to their orchard, they have to grow olive trees. 
And then uh, they have to make sure that after a few years they've grown up, they're going to ha actually have uh, olives on it. Now they're going to have to harvest those, and they're going to have to make oil out of them. And then they're going to have to bring that oil into the temple, and, and they're going to have to make these uh, candlesticks or lampstands. And every uh, morning they're going to have to get that oil, pour it in, make sure it's lit, and make sure it's burning and all of that. And here he sees a picture of the oil coming directly from the tree right to the lampstand. And so we have to have the Holy Spirit with us, of course. Did you notice uh, the idea of seven in verse 10, and these are the eyes of the Lord? The same thing is mentioned back in chapter 3, verse 9. You know what we saw in Revelation 4 and 5? That the, seven, uh, the eyes of the Lord are the seven spirits of the Lord because uh, the Holy Spirit can manifest himself that way, which he does in Revelation 4 and 5. So here is the Spirit of the Lord also, the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. The Holy Spirit knows you, by the way. The Holy Spirit knows everything about you. The Holy Spirit knows what you're thinking right now. Uh, the Holy Spirit knows what you do. The Holy Spirit knows everything about you. Work with Him. Let Him do a work in you rather than uh, working against Him. So you and the Holy Spirit are partners. And then thirdly, there has to be this continual filling. And so what Zerubbabel also saw was the oil never stopped. Like when you just pour in a little bit into the, into the bowl that's going to be burned up by tomorrow, you're going to have to pour more in. Now it just comes continually. And so the idea is that we be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. That verb tense excuse me, in, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, be ye filled with the Spirit is a continual type of tense. Be always filled. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Live that way. So remember, God is a Spirit. You have to be continually filled with Him. God's going to use methods. He's going to use you to do His work, and He's only going to use you if you're filled with the Spirit. And you've got to be satisfied with what He does. And say, that's, that's good, Lord. That's what I wanted done. And so, where has God put you in life? Do you say to yourself, well, I don't matter to much. I'm just right here in my little corner of the world. No, God does his work through us. And never despise the day of small things. Not even your own life. Not even where God has put you. Uh, you know, you didn't have to be a preacher. You didn't have to be a missionary. You are great people who know the Spirit of God and are filled with the Spirit of God. God uses you in ways that you, you have to look every day to see how He's using you. Never despise that. It's not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit. Let me close with reminding you of, of Acts chapter 10 of that man named Cornelius, who was a religious man. He prayed. He gave alms. Uh, he uh, was a well-respected man and didn't know the Lord as Savior. And God appears to him and says, your problem is that you need to go to my preacher and have him tell you what you're supposed to believe. And it's interesting that the angel could have come to Cornelius and said, here's the gospel, Cornelius. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you don't, I'm going to put you in trouble. And Cornelius was like, okay, I'll do it, you know. But no, you go listen to my preacher. 
And so you send some guys down there to Joppa, and there's a man named Peter, and you get him and bring him up here, and he will tell you what you've got to do. I've always thought that's amazing because here's an angel who could have said it so easily. But angels are never allowed to preach the gospel. Neither does God come in an audible voice, start talking to people today about the gospel. Everyone who's ever going to hear the gospel and get saved has to hear the preaching of the word through human beings. And so here's Peter over here, and he's like us. He's not prepared for it. He's not about to go up there and speak to those Gentiles. So God is also working on Peter, you know, with that vision and everything, saying, look, uh, don't despise what I've put together. If I say, rise, Peter, kill and eat, then you do it. And then here come these Gentiles and say, come and preach the gospel to us. And Peter says, is that right? And the Lord says, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And he goes up there, and then he says, I realize then. That God says, what I've cleansed, don't call common. And so every man can hear the gospel, but he's going to do it through human means. And so don't despise that. And that little group of people in that little Gentile's home in, in Caesarea opened the gospel to the Gentiles. And the reason you and I have believed is because of what happened in that little home in Caesarea. And so great things happen through us. Uh, let's give God the glory, let's trust in Him, let's wait on Him, and let's realize that in our life, in our church, in our family, or whatever, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. All right, let's, pray. let's stand and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you that we have these stories in the Bible, and I thank you, Father, that we can look back because you've kept them for us and see Joshua and Zerubbabel, and we can see Ezra and Nehemiah. We can see Haggai and Zechariah. And then, Father, realize that they were just plain people trying to do your will, sometimes in great adversity, but you came to them in a special way and reminded them that they're not to despise their small situation and also that they can't do this work alone. It's not by their might or power, but by your spirit. And so, Father, thank you for reminding us of that. We in our lives sometimes think that we don't matter much. There's not a whole lot we can do, but perhaps somebody we could witness to this week would turn out to be a great missionary uh, somewhere in the world. Perhaps from our little church here, the gospel will go to someone in this community who will hear the gospel and be saved and do wonderful things for you. Thank you, Father, for every work that you do in every one of our lives, every ministry that you've given us. Help us to rejoice in that and give you glory and say it's by the grace of God. So thank you for this. Bless it now as we think about this and sing a song. May you do a work in our hearts that we need tonight. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing.